Before we start today's show, I wanted to give a huge thank you to all of our listeners out there. This October marks the one-year anniversary of the Missions Podcast. We've had over 17,000 downloads over the last year, and we are so grateful to all of you guys for helping us connect the worlds of theology and missions. And as a way of saying thanks, we're giving away five free copies of David Platt's book, Radical Together, as well as five snug new Go Disciple the Nations t-shirts from ABWE. Enter to win at missionspodcast.com slash giveaway and see all the instructions on there. And thank you again for listening to the show and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Missions Podcast. My name is Alex Kochman, joining you from ABWE International with Scott Dunford. We're excited today to talk to another ABWE missionary about his ministry and some of the incredible work going on in Ukraine. Uh, but also we want to dive into a topic today, Scott, that I feel like this episode's been a long time coming. It's a good question. It's a good topic for a podcast, and yet we haven't really dived into it at length yet. Who is called to be a missionary? What is the quote-unquote missionary call? How do you recognize it? And maybe even a better question yet, what isn't a missionary call? And that's kind of a controversial discussion. I know probably on a weekly basis, I get into a conversation with somebody that has a difference of opinion with another person about what makes up a call. Is someone really called or not? I mean, clearly you're eating your alphabet cereal in the morning and whatever letters it spells, that's the country to which you're called. I'm pretty sure that that's how it works. I'm not entirely sure. And today, to help us work through that, uh, Caleb Suko, an ABWE missionary serving in Ukraine. He's also written some books. He blogs, preaches regularly, uh, and you can find him online, is joining us. Caleb, why don't you introduce yourself, uh, maybe share why we've asked you in particular to address this topic with us, and tell us about your current work in Ukraine. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. Um, we are serving here in Ukraine. I've been here since 2007. My wife is is actually Ukrainian, so we have a connection here to Ukraine through her family. Uh, we have five kids. And I, I mean, I guess you could answer better the question why you asked me to come on, but I think it's probably <laughs> a book on calling to missions. So I kind of think that might have something to do with it. Is God Calling Me to Missions by Caleb Suko? Ten questions to help you determine your calling. Yeah, you, you just released this uh, earlier this year. Is that correct? Early this year, yeah. So clearly you were called because you married a, a Ukrainian woman, I'm assuming, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> maybe not. Yes, that's the, that's the first point in my book. Find a native and marry them. No, that's not actually. <laughs> um, but, you know, honestly, that that is, as far as our story goes, that was one part of the puzzle that helped me see him leading us back to Ukraine. So that, that, was, that is part of it, for sure. So why don't you just take a moment, just tell us a little bit about your, your story, um, how God led you in your wife together, um, how God led you to Ukraine, and what are you doing currently in Ukraine? I grew up in Washington State. My dad was actually a church planter, so I grew up in a small Baptist church uh, near Tacoma, Washington, a little town called Geek Harbor. I came to faith when I was seven years old. And I grew up in the church and began to just sense a calling on my life in when I was about 15 or 16 years old. We had a lot of missionaries that would come and visit us, you know, from time to time in the church there. And there was this one missionary that came from Togo, West Africa. 
afterwards I said, you know, that just, just really intrigued me. It was interesting. And I was uh, 16 years old at the time. I said, hey, do you have any opportunities for maybe short-term mission in the summer? And he said, let me check with our mission and, and see what kind of opportunities there might be. It, he left, we left it at that. And I think he probably called me a couple of weeks later and he said, hey, Caleb, uh, there's there's going to be a guest speaker at this church near our town there. And I thought, well, you know, OK, whatever, I'll go. So I went and I don't remember what he preached about. <laughs> but I do remember that after the service, I went up to him and I said, hi, my name is Caleb. I'm looking for some possibilities for short term missions. And he immediately said, hey, we've got a great opportunity this summer in Ukraine. I mean, this is early 90s, you know, and up until then, it was usually it was just it was Soviet Union. It was it was Russia and had even really thought about it as a separate country that really wasn't on my radar to tell you the truth and i went home and i told my dad there's this opportunity in ukraine this summer and when my dad heard that he said oh wow he got really excited Mm. and he said hey i'm gonna go with you that caught me (laughs) off guard a little bit because yeah at that point I hadn't decided to go myself. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll pray about it. I guess maybe God is, there must be some sort of, you know, way that God is leading me in this since my dad is all ready to go with me. So my dad and I went for the first time in 1994 to Ukraine. Uh, It was a pretty dark time in Ukraine. It was a very difficult time in Ukraine. And God used that trip greatly in my life to expose me to a completely different culture, to see the church that was just foreign to me. There's songs, the way they did their services, obviously language. It was good to be exposed to that kind of a thing. But honestly, at that point, I didn't really think long term that I would ever go back to Ukraine. Mm. And it was just kind of like, well, that was that was a good experience. God showed me a lot. And but I was still interested in missions. After I graduated from high school, I had an opportunity to go down to South America. And again, that was something that God used in my life to little by little push me more towards missions, give me more exposure to missions. But one of the things that I really realized was just the the need for to have a a biblical foundation education. I decided to get uh, some biblical education at Shasta Bible College. And that that was where my wife-to-be happened to be also coming. And when I got there, there was this picnic for staff and students and parents. And when we got home from that picnic that day, my dad said, hey, Caleb, I met this nice Ukrainian girl and I think you should marry her. <laughs> wow, that's a calling. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, so somehow or another, my dad, you know, kind of figures into this story pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of I, I kind of had the same reaction as you did, Scott. <laughs> to my dad at that time. I was like, yeah, okay, dad, whatever. You know, I'm here to study God's word. But God had, um, well, God wanted me to do that, but he also had a, a relationship there waiting for me. So Christina and I met, and within about two months, I called my dad up and said, okay, I think I'm I'm ready to be an obedient son. Christina and I got married. <laughs> yeah, we got married at the end of the school year. She was interested in going to Fiji as a missionary. Hmm. And here, you know, I'm thinking of going to like South America. She wants to go to Fiji. Well, that doesn't really work. You, know, you got to at least be in the same country, hopefully in the same city. <laughs> Once you're married. That's always optimal. Uh, yeah, it's, it's probably not. I do have a section in there on how does marriage affect my calling? Because mm-hmm. 
one of the things that I've seen talking with young people, there's sadly been quite a few young people that have expressed interest in missions. And then, you know, a year or two down the road, all of a sudden you find out that they're married and they married somebody that has absolutely no interest in missions. Right. If you're, you and your spouse don't equally see that calling to missions, it's, it's just not going to work out very well for you. And I don't believe that God calls one spouse and not another. I think that if he calls, he, he calls on both the husband and the wife. And so thankfully, through God's leading, when Christina and I met, she had seen God's calling in her life as well. Just at that point, she was thinking Fiji. I was thinking Brazil and God was thinking Ukraine. And and what it was for us that really gave us clarity was one thing was just that so many people would say to us, are you going to Ukraine? We're just like, maybe God is trying to say something to us through all these people. And the other factor was that Christina's, my my wife's family is still all in Ukraine. So we go not once a year, once every year or two to visit her family. And, and when we come to Ukraine, we'd think, well, you know, just instead of just sitting on the couch talking to the family, let's do some ministry while we're here. And we started mm-hmm. doing ministry. And I think that God used those experiences to draw us back to Ukraine as we begin to think, wait a minute, we already have ministry experience here. We have family here. We have um, we have good relationships with churches here. And then the, the third factor that I think really nailed it for us was that he just gave us a desire. Mm-hmm. And because it, and when I talk to young people, I say, listen, y- you might look at missions, look at a country and think, wow, I have all the skills I have all the abilities. There's a lot of very practical things that line up, but I don't believe that God calls someone to missions and only gives them the practical skills. He also gives a desire. Well, that's a great transition. Uh, Your book is 10 questions to help you determine your calling. And we want to walk through those questions with you. Um, But uh, first, when you use the term calling, are you talking mm-hmm. about, you know, the moment where you audibly hear God's voice and it's necessarily a supernatural event? Or are you talking about something a little bit more nuanced? And we'll get into the different ways that that is nuanced in your book. Yeah, I think primarily I'm talking about something a little more nuanced. Although in my book, I really heavily rely on Isaiah chapter six and Isaiah's calling to the mission that God gave him, which was absolutely a supernatural calling. I mean, that was uh, just over the top supernatural. I mean, he saw a vision of, of God uh, on his throne in the temple with these seraphim around him. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. overwhelmingly supernatural. Uh, But uh, I think that there are aspects of that calling that we can see in our own lives and it doesn't necessarily include an audible voice of God or some sort of miracle. In fact, I think that that we shouldn't be waiting for those kinds of things. Uh, We can see clearly God's calling in our life without those things in the way that God used is people that might speak into our lives and the way that he forms our desires and the way that he gives us skills and things like that. So that I guess that would be the you know short answer to, to your question there. You highlight some mistakes that people make um, with regard to calling. And then I think it might be a, a nice transition to go from there into the 10 questions. But what, what were some of those mistakes that you see people make and why did you highlight those ones? Like I said, the, the one mistake that I already mentioned is just trying to wait for some sort of a voice from heaven uh, and and not wanting to move forward unless you have that voice from heaven. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, I don't, I don't think that we, we need to wait for that. Uh, another mistake that I think sometimes people make is just confusing, uh, feeling sorry for, you know, a particular group of people because they're very poor or something like that. Mm-hmm. Certainly God can use that as part of our calling. Uh, but, but th- that's, that's just a little part of it. Right. You know, when you, when you see poverty, when you see people that, uh, you know, don't have it nearly as well as we have in the United States, uh, it can be easy to just confuse that kind of a, a sorrow for, for other people as, as God's, you know, as the whole of God's calling. But I, I don't think that that's uh, necessarily true. A couple of mistakes you highlighted that I, I thought we see all the time was one, this idea of one following the herd, you know, young people graduate from college, their desires to get a good job. They're getting pressured from family to do that, get married, have a family, pay your bills the rest of your life. And, and yeah, that might not be what God's calling everyone to do. Certainly God does call some people to do that, but not everyone. And then you also talk about this idea of getting stuck on the fence where people get stuck between this idea of going and serving the Lord overseas or should I not and get tossed back and forth uh, with that. I thought that was uh, helpful and and insightful because I do find a lot of people get stuck there wondering, is God really calling me? Yeah. And and if stuck on the fence one, I always tell people, Hey, if if you can't really decide, you know, is God calling you or not, just pursue it. Right. Just, just go, go all out and pursue it. If, if God really thinks that's a bad idea, there'll be a barrier there. There'll be something there that will make it very clear that, okay, this, this is not the right thing for you. But as long as you're just kind of sitting there hanging out saying, don't know, should I do this or do that? You know, it's sort of like, you know, you can't give, give direction to a, to a ship that's not moving. Can't steer a parked car. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. let's dive into some of these questions. And there's some questions here that I think tie in as far as determining your calling. And the first question that you put forward for readers is, are you in the right place? What's your heart behind asking that question? How would we go about answering that? Yeah, I think that what I really am trying to get out there is, especially when I see young people that are interested in missions, I really want to know what they're doing in their local church right now. Uh, Because Mm -hmm. it can be easily romanticized, this whole idea of missions, but missions itself is connected with the local church. And, and so if I see a young person that is interested in mission, I say, Hey, you know, how are you serving in your local church? What are you doing to, to actively support your church, to be part of a gospel ministry in your church, something that is connected with the local church and shows how much you value how God is working in the local church. Because once you get into the mission field, you definitely want that to also be connected with the local church. But also I think that somebody who is actively serving in the church, active in ministry. And so God directs us. I I firmly believe as we are active in ministry. That's great. And someone might have just this growing burden for the lost and for ministry in general, and they might mistake that as a calling overseas, but God might just be telling them, hey, you need to just get involved in your local church and you need to be sharing the gospel in your local context, and then maybe something else will emerge. So I think that's wise. The second question you get into is, do you understand the holiness of God? I thought that was fascinating because most people, when they think of their calling and are wondering what God's calling to, it was the farthest thing from their mind is how the holiness of God plays into that. Why do you think that 
that that's so important in determining someone's call. Yeah, I'm assuming that's where Isaiah 6 ties in for you, too. Yeah, well, definitely Isaiah 6 ties in there because as as Isaiah had that vision, he sees these seraphim come around the throne and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So the idea of God's holiness as connected to missions, I think is foundational to missions and really helps balance out the reason why we do what we do as missionaries. And I think that part of this is that when I think back to mission conferences and things when I was a teenager growing up in the church, and there was a lot, a lot of emphasis placed upon, uh, you know, the number of lost souls that are dying, which which is a truth that, that we need to be aware of and ought to be part of our motivating factor, but it ought not to be our only motivating factor. And the reason that I say that, well, there's a number of reasons I say that, but one is because when you get on the mission field, um, you're going to find out that there are a lot of lost souls, a lot of people going to hell. And unfortunately, they're not all willing to listen to your message. Mm. And that can be very, very discouraging to a missionary. But if we keep the holiness of God in perspective, that we're here for the holiness of God, we're here to promote his glory. It sort of, it it helps us to keep moving forward, Mm. knowing that not everyone will respond, but it's worth it because we have a holy God and we are promoting his holiness and his glory. That is to say that the task of missions is a lot deeper and a lot richer than simply saving people from hell. That's an extremely important Mm -hmm. part of it. But why are we saving them? We're saving them because God is holy and he's glorious and we're we're putting them into relationship with that holy and glorious God. And we've, we've talked about this before on this show, but sometimes fruitful ministry actually has no converts or few converts because God is, is doing something different in that situation. We can see that in scripture occasionally. I think normally there's fruit. We should expect that. But yeah. sometimes God calls you to do what Isaiah did or do what Jeremiah did. And both of them saw very little fruit from a human perspective, but their task was to proclaim God's holiness in a dark place. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, just those examples of, of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, these are guys that didn't really see a lot of fruit from their ministry in their lifetime. But I firmly believe that if you look at Isaiah, he responded to the holiness of God. And that kept him going in ministry for probably 50 plus years. And then you've got a guy like Jonah, uh, bad attitude, heart and not in the right place at all. And yet God does incredible things there. Yeah. Right. He got the numbers. That's for sure. And then next you move on to, do you understand the wretched nature of sin? And so I'm envisioning Isaiah six there. He sees the holiness of God and then he realizes I'm a sinful man. And it's from that, that his own calling emerges. Uh, And it's incredible that we see even the gospel kind of being acted out before Isaiah's own calling. So he has to understand the gospel. He has to understand the seriousness of sin. Uh, But the next question you ask, number four, has God prepared you? And I think this is where you get into some of the very practical stuff of it is, are you qualified? So talk to us a little bit why you ask, how has God prepared you and how that can be important for somebody to ask themselves? Yeah, well, as far as preparation, you know, I think that the most, I, I like to come back to, you know, really, really basic questions. And one of the first questions that I would like to come back to when we talk about preparation for a mission is, has God saved you from your sin? Well, come on, you know, this person wants to go into missions, of course they're mm. saved. 
but there's been so not always. many, yeah. <laughs> not always. Been so many examples of, of people that ha- are not saved. They're not truly saved and yet they're interested in missions. And, and that's why I, I shared a little bit in there. There's a, a couple of quotes from, uh, I think the Wesley brothers that, you know, they went to the United States as missionaries and they came back all discouraged. Well, cause they weren't saved. And so they were preaching a, a message of just be a moral person. And that was very discouraging for them. And, and so when they actually came back and, and eventually uh, came to a, a true saving faith, that changed their perspective on missions as well. And so those foundational aspects of understanding our sin, understanding God, preparing your own heart, mm. and the example of Isaiah, how his heart was prepared he says, woe is me. And then the seraphim comes and with a burning coal and signifies his, his forgiveness. And once he realized his forgiveness and what God has done for him, that, that changed his perspective, I think, too, on, on the mission that God had called him to. And that's huge because we're not just saying we need more warm bodies. We really are talking about people that are uh, truly converted and have a deep, rich understanding of the gospel um, and all of its complexities and not just a very superficial level of it. In addition to other types of preparation like training and education, which I'm sure we might get into in a little bit. Uh, But next, you also ask, do you understand the nature of the call? What is the nature of that for you? Because it might not be an audible divine voice like we talked about earlier. Yeah, so when I'm when I'm talking about the the nature of the call, I'm really talking about uh, see in Isaiah six eight he says, "I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who whom shall I send, and who will go for us?'" And then well, I that, said, okay, I that was audible. Me. I stand corrected. That yeah, well, that was yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, but that was you know that's probably like one of the main missionary verses that are. Uh, used in in you know, missionary conferences and and things like that. But when I talk about the nature of the call, I'm talking about it in the sense of if you think of someone that wants to go into whatever profession, you know, say they want to uh, be a policeman or a fireman or a doctor or something like that. You know, th- those are calls. Uh, you could say there, there's a you know I, I feel called to be a doctor or something like that. But I think that there's a, a bit of a difference when we talk about the call to missions. Uh, the call to preach the gospel. Uh, I believe that it is a lifelong call. Yeah, I believe that, that it's a call that supersedes other professions. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. We don't. We don't say that other professions are are not needed or they're not important or anything like that. But it supersedes other professions in the sense that it has eternal ramifications. Okay, well, I'm just curious. Let's push back a little bit. Why would you say it's necessarily lifelong call? Would you invalidate someone's calling if they say, you know, I, I feel called to to perform a, a ministry for five years in this country, help this team, and then God will transition me elsewhere? I'm, I'm curious what you would use to yeah, are you uh, ta- back that. Are you talking about? Call to ministry? Or are you talking about call to a location? Yeah, I'm not talking about call to a location. Uh, I'm talking about the call to the task of, of preaching the gospel mm. in, in this sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, I mean, that was the essence of the call that, that Isaiah received. Um, and I think that sometimes there is a little bit of confusion about that, you know, uh, as far as call to location, I would, I would even maybe use different terminology as far as location. Hmm. I would say that God leads us to different locations. I can see that being helpful. Yeah. But that he, but that he calls us to missions Mm -hmm. and to, to a ministry of preaching the gospel. It's kind of what happens with Paul in the book of Acts. He's, he's set apart for the work. 
But then as he travels, you know, part of it is just I desire to go to Rome or to Jerusalem or to Asia, but the Holy Spirit steered me away that way. And it's, and it's interesting in Second Corinthians, Paul's got that passage where he's like, I desired to come to you. I told you I was coming to you, but now I can't come to you. Uh-huh. You know, he gets into that, you know, like, you know, my yeses and my noes and what I want and what yeah. God desires to do. So there's even a sense of like Paul felt directed in one way and then later realized, no, I'm directed in another His direction. calling was to be an apostle. Sure. Not necessarily to be in, you know, Corinth for X amount of time or something. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that, but that really connects with our idea of missions because, because really apostles are sent one, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have your, your, your 12 apostles that have a special place because they were sent by Christ. Uh, but we as missionaries are, are sent by the local church. Um, so, so that what I'm saying is that, uh, you know, to be a doctor or whatever other profession, those are professions that, that you could probably change through your life. You, you could be uh, that profession and also be called a, in as a missionary mm-hmm. and use that in your mission. Uh, those things might change. But missions is, I think, a specific profession that really God specifically calls us to. Yeah, I want to just go off the script here a little bit. And so off-roading. Yeah, we're going to off-road. And so, so here's a very common ministry question. And I've been, you know, in ministry, I don't know, 17 years, a uh, long time for me anyway, a long time. Uh, as long as I've been involved in Christian ministry, even before I was involved in Christian ministry, one of the most common questions that you have young people just agonizing over is what's God calling me to do? So mm-hmm. let's say, you know, you're back in the States or even where you're at in Ukraine because you're working with churches there and the church in Ukraine is sending out missionaries. You've got a young person coming up to you saying, you know, Pastor Suko, am I called, you know, I'm wrestling with this God calling me to this place as a missionary. You know, how do you help them? You know, you're sitting in the back of the foyer, you know, you've got, you know, 10 minutes maybe or five minutes even to talk about this. Uh, What do you say to them? Well, first of all, I'll say, hey, do you have my book? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. <laughs> Available in the lobby. Hold on, I got my backpack on with full of coffee. Or a tithe of any amount. Yeah. Yep. Actually, that, that has happened to me a number of times, uh, quite a few times, actually, I think. And it's a little hard in that situation because you don't necessarily know their background, you know, and everything. Uh, but usually, or often that happens in the context of a local church. And that's usually one of the first things I want to know is, okay, have you talked to your pastor about this? You know, mm-hmm. what, 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 what does your pastor think? What, what are the, some of your, your spiritual mentors think about this and, and, and direct them to, to talk to some of their, either their pastor or spiritual mentors. Uh, because oftentimes I know it was true in my life. Those are the people that can kind of see God's calling even earlier than we can in our own lives often. Mm, yeah. And so if I only have a little bit of time with someone, I'll, I'll direct them to, hey, talk to some of your spiritual mentors and ask them these questions that you're asking me. Um, do you, do you, have you seen God's calling, evidence of God's calling in my life? Do you think that it might be possible that he's calling me um, into missions? And then another thing that I just, you know, real practical thing that I tell anyone that would ask me that kind of question is, is what kind of ministry experience do you have right now? And then Uh if you're interested, if you're serious about going, get as much experience in ministry as you can before you go. 
as, as well as Bible training. But uh, mm-hmm. if, if you had to choose between the two, I'd, I'd really probably focus on ministry training with, so, you know, some sort of uh, self-directed or, you know, self-study in, in Scripture to, to make sure that you have that scriptural foundation. Mm-hmm. But I just I just think that God leads us so, so much better when we're when we're active in ministry. We have to be careful not to make it just a purely emotional thing, mm. uh, because when once you get onto the field, you know your your emotions can go up and down. There there are days when I feel like, oh my right. goodness, what am I doing here? Am I doing more harm than good? Uh, so what you know, desire is is usually or it, it should be connected, rooted really in scripture. And in our understanding of, of our own salvation. Uh, but the fact that it might kind of, there might be days where you feel it more or feel it less. That's, I think that's normal and we shouldn't get too worried about that. Yeah. Um, and then next you ask question number seven, do you understand the task before you? Uh, so I assume there you're trying to draw out some things like, do you, do you really understand the context? Do you understand the nature of the ministry? Um, or do you have this overly idealistic view of things? Do you have a realistic read of things on the ground? And so I, I think what you're getting at here, and, and you can unpack this a little bit, is that God wants us to make decisions based on knowledge, not just based on one or two fleeting impressions, or I, I saw a movie and now I'm going to do this, but get knowledge, get information, get research and really think about it and and make a wise decision. Is is that sort of what you're talking about? Right. I I think that just if you look at the landscape of missions today, uh, people are doing anything and everything. And some of that I'm grateful for that we've widened the tasks, the tasks that missionaries can be involved in. Mm -hmm. But some of that you look at and think, wait a minute, you know, where's the just the clear preaching of the gospel for salvation in this? It it seems to get lost a little bit. So that's that's kind of what I'm driving at when I say, do you understand the task before you? That again, if you look at Isaiah's call, the primary task was one of telling, was of communicating God's truth. To, to people so that there would be repentance and faith. And if you look at the Great Commission that Jesus gave us, uh, it's about making disciples, which is also heavy on teaching, on, on telling truth that we know and believe from God's word, communicating it to others so there will be belief, there will be faith, uh, repentance, and, and salvation. And so that just that, that core aspect, I think that we are in danger sometimes of straying away from it if we get too taken up with all kinds of different, I hate to use the word social gospel, but different social issues, which I'm not saying they, they can't be used in connection with telling the gospel, but really at the core of what we do, it's, it's a communication of truth that will transform people's, people's lives and their eternal destiny. Keeping the main thing the main thing. Um, but Caleb, have you prayed about it? That's the next question that you ask. Have you prayed? It's a simple one, but one that bears repeating, right? Yeah. You know, that's, it's, it's often those most simple things that we sort of fail to do. And, and I find myself in the, as a missionary for 11 years, needing to remind myself to just simply pray for those that I'm sharing the gospel with, because we, we tend to get so task oriented. 
and our goals are all task oriented. So we, we just have to come back to that idea of prayer and the fact that ultimately the success of our tasks is dependent upon God and not our own abilities. And sometimes prayer doesn't necessarily even unlock the answer so much as it changes the one praying. Uh, you, you mentioned a little bit the importance of counsel, bringing in godly counsel. That's question number nine mm-hmm. that you ask. And that's important. Do you think, uh, I do, that, that this is particularly important for millennials, for people who are a little bit younger, because we have a tendency to be so self-driven, self-directed. Have you found in your ministry that this one might be one that's easily neglected? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that one of the thing, one of the trends that we've seen in missions is is more and more independence in a in a bad way, in a way that sort of uh, it goes around the local church. And that's, that's definitely, uh, I don't think God's plan. And so this idea of seeking godly counsel, especially godly counsel that would be part of the local church is I think vital. Mm. Um, and it helps us to be able to, again, see, see, see things from a perspective that is, is not limited to our, to our own experience perspective and understand that there are people wiser than us and, and, uh, and maybe more godly than us. Yeah. I, re- I remember, you know, being in many ordination councils and, uh, being in my own ordination council. You say many or many, uh, many, many, uh, yeah. not little ones, not many, little mini ordination. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to, we're going to ordain a little pastor. <laughs> Alex is very tired as you can tell. I am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I've been some many and many uh, ordination councils where the questions kind of asked, Hey, so, you know, you're called into ministry. What happens if this group, you know, doesn't affirm you as called into ministry, you know, and it's interesting how um, individualistic our culture tends to be. Uh, It seems like in scripture calling is something that is, that is determined not by your own inner burning necessarily alone, but also by confirmation of the body of Christ saying, Hey, you are gifted in these areas. Like, you know, a, a spiritual gift test could be helpful, but even more helpful, as I think you've already alluded to, is as you're practicing and functioning within those gifts in the church, are you seeing fruit? And is the church validating what you're sensing in those things? Um, are godly men and women coming around you and saying, hey, you feel called to teach and we sense that you are called to teach. Um, that's an important step in it. And with the risk of rattling on here, it's something we run into all the time when we ask the question of a prospective missionary. Uh, if you talk to your pastor about this, it's shocking how many times they've not yet talk to their pastors um, about yeah. the fact that God may be calling them into missions. Why and would I, I do that? And, and I, I know some mission agencies don't even bother with that question. And uh, for us, it's important. Like if you, if your church isn't behind it, then in my mind, you are not called to go. There are no free agents in the body of Christ. There's no lone gunslingers. At least we don't need more lone gunslingers. Yeah. And, you know, as much, much of the mission field now, too, when you when you go to a particular country, now, certainly there are still pioneer missionaries somewhere where there's no churches at all. But oftentimes you're going to be going to a context where there are some churches already in that country. And if, if you're not able to work within your own local church context for yeah. your own local church mm-hmm. to see your calling, it's going to be much more difficult for you to much more difficult to integrate into a foreign context where there's a church and be able to work with that church as well. Well, here's how this conversation goes. 
what do you want to do? Oh, I want to share the gospel. I want to see people get saved. I want to help change lives. Awesome. Have you, have you spoken to your pastor? No. Do you want to see uh, those people get saved only or get discipled? Well, I want to see them grow too. Where? Well, I mean that, I mean that happens in church. So you'd want to see a church formed. Yeah, but I'm not a church planter, but you want to see a church formed. You can't plant a church or be a part of a church emerging if you haven't yourself been sent by one and you understand how to do body life together on the local level. Right. Right. Yep. Very true. And the reality of that is, is that every little problem is so magnified on the mission field. Once you get into language issues, cultural issues, just a myriad of things that raises the stress level. It, it, nothing, I'm not, I don't want to scare anyone away. Sometimes I might go, you know, in fact, when I was writing this book, uh, my editor, she was reading through it and she said, uh, I think in the conclusion, she's like, wow, you're like almost scaring people away from missions. You just make it sound like so tough and hard and maybe you should lighten that up a little bit. And I did change things around in there a little bit to say, hey, I love being a missionary. I mean, this is this is like a dream job if there ever could be one, but it is tough. Mm. And and. And so just that, that aspect of once you get to the mission field, all those things in the local church are, are, are much more difficult in a foreign context mm. than they are at home. And, and we want the missionaries to be ready for that. So I don't want to scare them right. away, but I want them to be ready and to know that it's worth it. So, so the last question I think is also really important, and that is you ask, has God given you opportunity? Um, mm-hmm. How does that play into someone determining their their calling. Yeah. You know, I just, I believe that, that God works through, through opportunities that we have. And I've just, I've never seen in my life anyone who really wants to serve God. And it's just like, I just, I can't find any place to serve him. It just, (laughs) (laughs) it just seems that when that desire is there, that, that God begins to, to give opportunity. That doesn't mean we don't have to look for it. I think, I think that we should look for it. I think that we, we should uh, pray for, for that opportunity, but where the opportunity is there, we should, we should, we should take it and, and then let God lead us on from there. You can't do much if there's not an open door. Right. I mean, Paul talks about that too. Hey, we've been given an open door here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll give you a, a great example, just a ministry, you mm-hmm. know, how that works too here in Ukraine right now, when, um, when our, the war started in Eastern Ukraine, we had, you know, something like, like a million and a half or 2 million displaced people. Mm. Well, guess that's an opportunity. Right. It wasn't, it was, we never planned for a ministry to refugees or displaced people. <laughs> right. But you, you look at it and say, oh, that's an opportunity. We got to go there and we got to do something. We did two years for two years. We ministered to disabled refugees every single week, sometimes several times a week. And we saw fruit from that. After those refugees dispersed to different places in Ukraine, we prayed and God literally opened the doors, opened the, the checkpoint to the army base that's just north of town here. And he continues to do that. And so I look at those and I tell people there there's certain gospel opportunities. You have to be sensitive to those and, and then just, and just take them because um, just the fact that there's a lot of people crowded around somewhere doesn't mean they all want to hear the gospel. 
But look at those for those gospel opportunities where there's opportunity to share the gospel and there's people that are interested in hearing the gospel. And that's usually where I where I see God working. You know, it seems to me and I would love to hear your your input on this, both of you, that there's two ditches. One is very mystical and that we sit around waiting for God to speak to us in the desert and say, go to such and such a place and we go. Um, that tends to be very individualistic and also very subjective. Uh, the other ditch, the other ditch is very uh, um, methodical and saying like maybe okay, naturalistic. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, you know where it's where it's like it's, it's as simple as I want to go. There's nothing holding me back from going. Uh, there's a need. I understand these things, and it just becomes very like. And, and I think both of those have you know could, can happen, but also can also be uh, dangers. It seems like the mixture is there. There it's. A the alignment of desire, of gifting, of opportunity, like uh, preparation, like you've described, um, confirmation of the church. Um, but then also there is an, an element of it that is simply God laid a desire on your heart um, and uh, this burden on your heart. Um, but it seems like when those things come together is when we find um, this idea of calling. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, we don't want to turn it into some sort of a mathematical formula where it's like, okay, one, two, three, one plus three plus two equals yeah. whatever. Now you're a missionary. Uh, I think that we've seen that problem uh, maybe, you know, institutionally with uh, maybe colleges or, or seminaries where, okay, somebody has the education, so they they need to be a missionary, they need to be a pastor now or something. And it, and it totally lacks the, the looking at God's calling in, in their life. So I, I would agree with you that there is sort of a melding here of two different things. And some of it is a little bit mystical. And just in the fact that, you know, I feel God's calling, but the feeling is, is never enough to go on just a feeling. And it always reminds me of, you know, the, what is it? The, the Mormons that talk about the burning in the bosom. I don't know. They still talk about that. You know, yeah. how do you know that? Yeah. Oh, I have a burning. Well, no, we, we don't just go off of a burning in the bosom, you know? Right. Uh, so we have to look at other factors. We have to look at God's word. We have to get wise counsel. We have to look at the opportunities that God has set before us. And, and we have to look at the abilities that God has given us. And, but I believe that when those line up, and God gives us also that passion and desire to go, um, then, then that is, is, helps us to clarify God's calling in our lives. Second Thessalonians, uh, chapter one, verse 11, Paul says to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every desire for good. So every desire for good that you have and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a topic that all three of us are really passionate about. Some books that we recommend regularly to people are, in addition to Caleb's book on this topic that you can pick up on Amazon, and we'll include a link in the show notes. There's also um, Decision Making in the Will of God, which is sort of a modern classic by Gary Friesen. Uh, John MacArthur has a thin little 
pamphlet called Found God's Will uh, that outlines a lot of what uh, Caleb was sharing towards the end there about this is this alignment of gifts, desire, opportunity, burden, qualifications, things like that. Uh, he sort of unpacks that perspective there. And another great one, uh, maybe for, for millennials, would be Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung, which again comes to that perspective of don't sit around waiting for that liver quiver, but bring yourself to God being that living sacrifice in that Romans 12 sort of sense. Uh, so Caleb, thank you so much for talking through this huge topic with us. I think we could we could dig into this even deeper in the future. There's a lot more to talk about here. But Caleb, how can they get more from you? How can they find the book, you, your website, your podcast, other resources? Yeah, uh, the best way to connect is on our website, sukofamily.org, S-U-K-O, family.org. And I do have a podcast uh, that I put up a couple times a month where I talk about pretty much anything related to evangelism, discipleship, and ministry in the church, things we're involved in here. Uh, as uh, Alex said, that you can get the book on Amazon. There's also a link on our website there and in, in ways to contact us if, if you have any questions about missions in general or questions about missions in Ukraine. Of course, we'd, we'd love to, to hear. And the podcast is called them. Now is the Time. Correct. Yeah. Now is the Time. Correct. And it's, it's on iTunes and anywhere pretty much that you can get a podcast. All right. Excellent. Well, Caleb, thank you so much for joining us today. All right. It was wonderful. If you want to get more great content on theology, missions, and practice, go to missionspodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure that you subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. And please make sure that you also give us an honest review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to be sending your questions to alex at missionspodcast.com, along with any other ideas for future episodes. And until next time, thank you for joining us.